Hi, it's Star Trek Day, and I'm Tony Tolado on Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Surprisingly, they actually pitched Patrick Stewart, a series Star Trek Picard, to see if he would return playing the iconic captain, now a retired admiral. I spoke to Jonathan Frakes, and he talked about the reunion of the entire cast for the third and final season. I have to ask you, per Picard, what a reunion come, you know, is that oh, already wow. shot, by the way? Yeah, we're finished. As wow. Well. I, talked wow. To Terry, uh, I talked to Terry yesterday, and he said it's all the uh, visual effects are done. We're, it's cut and ready to go. Wow. So it's, uh, I'm so excited. I think the fans are going to plots when they see some of the things. <laughs> it's well, just, I'll tell you, I, it's, I, I mean, just covering you guys in person. There was a moment during the insurrection junket where Patrick is standing in the middle. You're on one side and Brent's on the other side. And it was, I think it was just, it was just after one of them was done and everybody was to get, you were all together. And we got a taste of what it must be like on the set because you were all bouncing off each other and we're sitting there going, wow. (laughs) Well, it was nuts. (laughs) <laughs> it was really nuts and uh it was as if we finished work on friday and came back on monday you know it had that kind of of course we're pretty close some casts aren't as close as we are but we we've been we've been in each other's lives as you know friends and we stood up at each other's weddings and godparents to each other's kids and gone through divorces and i mean it's been a very very tight. There is more Star Trek Day on Sci-Fi Talk, so stay tuned. Fans set up a writing campaign on the internet with a petition to bring back Pike and Spock and their prequel series. And it happened. Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Anson Mount returned as Captain Pike. I figured out that he probably had good parents. He definitely had great teachers. He struggles with faith. He struggles with his own self, self-confidence. And he has learned that life is about the journey and not the destination. You don't climb the mountain to get to the top. You climb it for the experience of every step. In Strange New Worlds, we not only got Mr. Spock, but also a young Lieutenant James T. Kirk. Paul, what's it like? I mean, you, and Ethan can jump in too. There's obviously sort of rules in playing these guys, even though they're kind of early in their development. And then there's the script. And then there's you as actors. So how do you balance all of that? Not easily. Um, I mean, Ethan has been doing this much longer than I have. Um, in terms of playing iconic characters, you know, you can almost answer this better than I can because you've had much more experience. Um, do you want to take Yes, that? Yes, sure. I mean, Paul and I actually uh, got to meet up and, and grab a, a meal together before he started filming when uh, after he was cast. And it was really wonderful to be able to share what I had learned about my onboarding to the world of Star Trek and to this iconic character of Spock. Yeah, it's just, it's, there are rules. You're, you're absolutely right that were established by 
you know, respectively Leonard Nimoy for myself and, and William Shatner for Paul. And uh, I think it's just, it's a very delicate dance that you have with these characters that, that already exist. And so for me personally, I really did my best to internalize Leonard Nimoy's um, creation, right? Spock is his creation. Uh, once that kind of felt alive in me to, to let go and, and just be. And I think Paul was really tasked with a, with a great challenge because he's got to jump in after we've been filming, you know, for, you know, six months and we've already spent all this time with these characters and they, they really asked the impossible of him. And I think he did an amazing job. And uh, I think fans will be really excited to see him in season two. And he really, he really gets to explore Kirk as we, as we want to know him as a sort of like playful, charming, uh, dangerous guy. It's like something familiar yet different, but it all works out. I recognize these guys. Yeah, that's the idea. Star Trek Strange New Worlds has certainly taken some chances, including the crossover episode with also Star Trek Lower Decks. Here's Jonathan Frakes. I think what was, <laughs> I, I talked to Mike Mahan lately, uh, of course, oh, of Lower Decks. Lower Deck, yeah. He's and a genius, too. Yeah, and you directed the crossover episode. Yes, I was just about to bring Strange New Worlds up. That episode, they take some big swings over there at Strange New Worlds. Yeah. And uh, this one, I think, was quite a successful one. And McMahon was directing the uh, animated part of it, you know, the voices. And I was on the call because I was directing the episode. And I'm learning so much from him because I've been on a couple of Lower Decks as Riker. Yes. And it's, it's certainly a heightened... Uh, Riker and a heightened world and 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 McMahon and he's such a trekker man he really gets in the weeds he and uh, Tony Newsom who's also in this crossover show who plays Mariner on Lower yes are really deep dive Easter egg trekkers and they they love it it's like a it's like a game for them it's like a challenge he said he was tortured because they kept sending him pictures from the set yeah, because he was working on this animated show and it was like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, we had Jack Quaid and Tawny with us. And it was also that show. I because I was with um, Anson and Ethan Peck, Ethan, when Ethan was finding Spock and Anson was the captain for the season three of. Uh, season two, season two of Discovery, yeah, Discovery so. I was thrilled to see them. And Anson's got a wicked comic style. <laughs> he's really dry. He, he's got it. So, and Rebecca, I've done three shows with Rebecca. So it was fun to be on that set. And I met all the new cast, obviously, but to have, a, you know, it's fun to come on a set where you've got a relationship with, uh, with the cast, especially when, when you know the top couple of numbers. Yeah. Really their set. You know, when, you, when you're a guest as a director, I always go during prep and sit around in the back with the key grip or somebody and say, so what's the story here? And then you can watch how, you really watch how the set is run. And generally, it's the tone of, of the number one that, that sets the way the room runs. Star Trek even had an alternate universe movie series, three films deep. Jason Matthew Smith, security officer, a.k.a. Cupcake, remembering those we lost from those movies, Anton Yelchin and also Leonard Nimoy. What's, what's your fondest memory of El Anton that you have? Um, I met Anton on the first film 
uh, I think it was the first day of shooting. We were all, all of the cast was coming out at the same time, you know, Chris Pine and Zoe and Zach and um, everybody was coming to set and we were all wearing these robes that covered our outfits due to the secrecy of it. And we all looked like a bunch of like, you know, druids going to some kind of secret mass. And, uh, you know, we had to get into these uh, golf carts that were completely blacked out. So you're not only in a blacked out robe, but you're getting into a blacked out curtain and, and you can't even, you don't even know who you're with until you get inside. And then everybody took, took off their robes. And I was like, Oh, I don't know any of these people pretty much. I'd never seen Chris Pine in a movie before. And, uh, you know, I, I'd never seen Anton before. And, uh, I was just shocked at how young he was. I mean, this was eight years ago. He was like 18, 19 years old. And when I started talking to him, you know, I, I asked him who he was playing. He said, Chekhov. And I, I, I was like, you're, you're Chekhov? You're a kid. You know, and he's, but I didn't say you're a kid, but I was like, wow. But when I started talking to him, his vocabulary and his wit was so advanced that I felt almost stupid talking to him, you know? And, uh, he was really so funny, so brilliant, um, and super smart, really, really smart kid. And I, I just think what happened to him was, uh, you know, it's a horrific accident and, and so unexpected. And I, I think, all of the cast is pretty, pretty well in shock from it. And it's really cast a dark cloud. I mean, we already had the dark cloud with, with Leonard Nimoy passing. I mean, there really is a real love for uh, the original cast amongst all the, um, the Star Trek, uh, the newer Star Trek cast um, and a respect there. And, you know, Nimoy worked uh, quite heavily with us. So, um, we got to know him and, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it has been a hard year for us and, and it's definitely casting a dark cloud over, um, the premiere and everything, but, you know, it's, uh, li- it's life though. You know, uh, my, I, my son had a, had a question on his science test the other day that said, all things die true or false and it, it's true and we're all we're all here for a short period of time and and we try to make make the most of it and um you know every day because you know we're not guaranteed tomorrow lavar burden on the success of star trek really one of the reasons why star trek has been i mean people say all the time they ask well, so why has this thing been so successful why does it defy the laws of television gravity why does it continue to to sustain itself and i think it's in part because of the hopeful nature of gene's vision but also because of its message of diversity and inclusion and that people respond to that because it reflects a society that we ourselves aspire to create brent spiner whom we love as lieutenant commander data an android who aspired to be human and became one of the most popular characters of any trek incarnation 
For Brent Spiner, Star Trek just hit on an idea. My take on the popularity of the show? You know, I don't know. I mean, it's it. this is what the bottom line is uh, on the popularity on the show, I think. I think it's just, uh, obviously, people are entertained by it. You know, it's pop culture that people dig enough that it warrants the studio producing more of it. Because as long as they come, the studio will make it. I, I think that's all it's about, and I think... You know, Gene Roddenberry just hit on an idea that was really appealing to a lot of people. That's kind of amazing. But I just think that people are continually entertained by it. Glad I am of it. Star Trek had a few actors that played many different parts. Susie Plaxton, I believe, played four. Vaughn Armstrong played quite a few as well. And Jeffrey Combs played many. And Jeffrey Combs was among those as well playing many faces and roles in Star Trek, like Brunt and Wayu. Kind of an embarrassment of riches. Uh, I actually, during the... Uh when, when, when it was in its heyday and, uh, you know, my agent would call and say, uh, you know, they want to book you, I got to actually say uh, which role. And my agents would go, oh, that's right, let me call you back, I don't know. There were actually a few days where I would be in one makeup and then go back to the makeup trailer, get completely out of that, and get into the other one to finish off an episode or something. There was one episode where I was in both. I was both characters in the episode. So uh, a rare occurrence indeed. Um, and don't think that at the time I didn't know it. You know, it's not one of those situations where I took it for granted at all. I was was then and always have been very grateful for that. You know, having come from the theater and and believed in versatility of the actor, um, it was a nice dream come true to actually see it, you know, uh, personify itself like that. Because uh, it's very rare indeed. Would you have wanted Wayu to meet Brunt? Yeah, I actually had an idea where they would never say a word to each other, but they would uh, walk down the hall, uh, coming from opposite directions, pass each other, nod, take a few steps, and then stop, and then turn around and look at each other, and then continue on. Nothing, you know, nothing said, nothing... uh, not a word of dialogue. However, that would have taken uh, really literally days because with doubles, uh, the, the, the time it takes to get into the makeup, out of the makeup, it, it, uh, paying me twice, uh, it would have uh, it would have it was a sort of a logistical uh, uh, and expensive uh, gag. So we did the next best thing, actually, in that episode. You know, they actually cut from one character to a scene where the other one was in it. So next best thing, I suppose. Early on in Voyager's first season, Roxanne Dawson had an interesting episode, Faces, where B'Elanna confronts her human and Klingon side. 
Well, the hardest part was getting absolutely no credit when, I was, when it was over because nobody believed that I was doing the Klingon half. They all wanted to know who hired the actor to do the Klingon half. And I went, it was me. I mean, I like Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. So I worked so hard on that, and it scared the hell out of me because it came very early on in the whole process. In the, in the first season, I barely knew who Belana was, let alone what her two sides were. And when I was handed the script, I really panicked because I thought, this is a third, fourth season script. This is not a first season script. And I thought to myself, I know that I could do this better in three years or four years. Um, but I decided to tackle it as a learning experience. In other words, use it to figure out what her sides were like to kind of help inform me as I moved on. And that was the best way for me to do it, to really tackle it as uh, what is this going to tell me about who she is, really. And the writers were so fabulous. I mean, I had absolutely, they fed me everything, you know, that I needed in that role. It was a wonderful opportunity to be able to, to do that. In casting for Star Trek Discovery, Ethan Peck recalls his audition process. I had an audition sent to me um, that I almost didn't go on. Well, I had to make a tape in the beginning, and it was very challenging material, and I had about 24 hours to do it. And I was like, I my manager, I was like, I don't know if I should do this. I don't know if I'm able to do a good job. They're like, just try, just do it. Thank goodness I did, because I didn't know what it was for in the beginning. Um, and uh, they disguised all the materials to send out to actors. And uh, about three weeks later, I, you know, further along the process, I figured out who it was. I was just like, huh? Like, never in my wildest dreams would I have guessed that it was that, that I would be a part of this, that that role would ever be available to me. And so I kind of wandered into it. He talked about the pages he got for Spock. The character that was on the page, the page that I got very quickly, because um, uh, it's a, a guy who's what, what appeared to be someone who had never felt emotions and was trying to make uh, intellectual sense of them. And it seemed to me like sort of an existential crisis, and I felt like, I'm 32, and you know, we all go through that around this age, so I feel like that was kind of recent in my life repertoire, so. We have to have somewhere to go with him, right? And Nimoy's inimitable, and Kinto played an alternate universe Spock, right? Um, and so he's written on the page very differently. And uh, slowly but surely he will become, I think, who we've come to love and adore in the original series. The episode The Menagerie helped him in his portrayal of Spock. The Menagerie is such a beautiful two-part, two-parter, and, uh, and I think for me that it's such it's such quintessential spot because it's so dignified. It's something emotionally driven but logically executed, and that's all about our relationship. And so that showed me that uh, there's great respect and admiration. Star Trek First Contact had actor James Cromwell, not in makeup, playing a different version but an interesting version of Zephram Cochran. I liked his journey. I liked where he came from and where he finally wound up. The fact that he, you know, he managed to succeed in spite of his fear. I liked the fact that he was, that he, I, through the character, I could sort of send up Star Trek, the beginning of Star Trek, you know, that it begins humbly that we're all, that we're human, that these superhuman human beings who walk around totally in control, manipulating all these machines are actually, you know, they still put on their pants one leg at a time, just like the rest of us. Uh, and that heroes are, um, you know, always have feet of clay. Uh, that's the thing about heroes, you know, that we're just, just human beings. It's just a hero worship. It's just a point of view. 
Here are Star Trek's 10 unanswered questions from Giant Freakin' Robot. What happened to Moriarty? No, he was not the same Moriarty that appeared in Picard as we saw in Chip in a Bottle. He is in a cube of sorts, in a continuing story. Who knows how Starfleet tricked the Romulans? In the episode The Pale Moonlight of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, if anyone outside of Starfleet intelligence ever found out the deception that got the Romulans to declare war on the Dominion, I would be held to pay. So what happened to Scotty in the 24th century? As we saw in Relics, he was given a shuttlecraft from the Enterprise-D to explore the galaxy. IDW's comic has Scotty on board the USS Thesis. There's more unanswered Trek questions at Giant Freakin' Robot. And there is more of Star Trek Day here on Sci-Fi Talk, so stay tuned. Thanks for listening. I'm Tony Tolado.